Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Numbers, chapter number 9. Numbers, chapter number 9. If you've been reading uh, along in the daily Bible reading, you, you should have already come across this passage of Scripture and read it and familiarize yourself with it. And uh, we're going to look specifically uh, at verses, we're going to, let's see, let's, let's start in verse 17 and we'll go through 23. And you can remain seated. Uh, so let's read that and then I want to introduce the subject of this study. And, and this is kind of going to be a, a study. Uh, there'll be some preaching, there'll be some teaching, there might even be some interaction, okay? And so, uh, Numbers 9, verse 17. The Bible said, And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched as long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was, when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, that they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Or whether it was two days or a month or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not but when it was taken up they journeyed at the commandment of the Lord they rested in the tents and at the commandment of the Lord they journeyed they kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses seems to be a lot of repetition to drive home a theme in this passage of scripture specifically speaking what God wants to emphasize is that what is most paramount is what God says, when God says, and how God says it. Amen. Uh, but this cloud, I'm interested in talking about this cloud for a minute. In the uh, Old Testament, it, it's called the Shekinah glory of God when they would uh, offer up sacrifices. And if the sacrifice was acceptable to the Lord, the cloud of God would descend upon it and the presence of God would be in the tabernacle and on the tabernacle and it would literally be a visible manifestation of the glory of God and the presence of God among his people. Everything that you read about in the Old Testament is a picture and a foreshadowing and a typology of the work of Christ. Christ and the and also the the fullness of the work of the Trinity in the life of the believer in the New Testament. Okay, and so for example, you see God the Father, 
you see, uh, as, as the one who speaks from the mountain and gives the commandments, for example, you see God the Son manifested in all of the elements of the tabernacle, the candelabra being the light of the world, uh, the sacrifice being uh, the Lamb of God, and with the list could go on and on. And then you have the, the revealed presence of God through the cloud. This is a type, of, I believe, of the Holy Spirit of God. It is not until someone uh, has been uh, enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God that God is actually revealed to them. And so this is a type and a picture of how that if you want to see God, you must see Jesus. And if you're going to see Jesus, you must listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay. So here's the train of thought. Listen to the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word. When you do... You'll see Jesus, and then when you do, no man cometh to the Father except through Jesus. So the first entry point to the place of the Father is listening to the Holy Spirit, who's the introducer and the educator of who Christ is. Okay. Now, if you want to know why there's a sin unto death that's never forgiven called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the fundamentally I am convinced... Uh, and I've talked to another uh, a pastor the other day who is a doctor in theology, and he knows a lot more, I feel like, in many ways than I do. Uh, and I asked him if, what his thoughts were. He said, that's 100% exactly how I see it uh, from all of his studies. The reason that sin is unforgivable is because the Holy Spirit is the communication between you and God. Okay, And if you break that communication, God will no longer hear you. And so you don't ever want to find yourself in a place to where you turn down the one calling you to God for the last time. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit is the one communicating to you the truth of the gospel to reveal who Jesus is to you on the day that you got saved, assuming you got saved. Uh, uh, it was because uh, you heard the gospel, you understood who Jesus was, you understood that you was a sinner, you understood that you needed to be saved, you understood that you needed to be forgiven, you, you understood in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And, and because of the Holy Spirit, you knew that that was your time to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. With, and the, Jesus said, uh, 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 No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But it also teaches that no man cometh unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. Okay? That's why somebody can sit in church for a decade and never get saved if they've never actually been illuminated by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just a psychological ascent to become a believer in God. And just because you believe in God, now you're saved. No, there has to be a, uh, a new birth taking place in your heart. Amen. Where the Holy Spirit reveals to you God Almighty through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he reveals himself to you, then you can be saved and then you can enter into the presence of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So all that being said, this is a type and a foreshadowing of the work of the Holy Spirit, introducing us to Christ and ultimately getting us into the very presence of God the Father, the triune God. Amen. God three in one, right? So we see that. So my, my lesson or my series, as, and I'll teach on it as long as the Holy Spirit leads me, is called Living from 
the presence of God. Living from the presence of God. There is this uh, idea today, this concept that sometimes, this lie, a doctrine of devils that we buy into sometimes that somehow uh, convinces us that uh, God is way over yonder up in heaven and we're way down here and there's so much distance that we just, the best we can hope for is to struggle along till God gets us out of this old mess. And it's a defeatism attitude as if we are on losing ground and the only way we're going to win is not the here and now, but when Jesus finally returns and whoops all of them for us. And we act as if the only victory we're going to have is either when we breathe our last breath and we end up in the sweet by and by or the trumpet sounds. But until then, it's a miserable existence because God ain't here. That's the attitude that we sometimes live by. That's the attitude. And I'm going to tell you where that comes from. The reason people assume that there's no victory is because they have no victory. The reason they have no victory is because they're not living from the presence of God. They're living in their own energy and strength, religiously speaking. And as long as you're trying to figure it out yourself, as long as you're trying to do things yourself, are you hearing what I'm saying? As long as you're trying to fix things, as long as you're trying to patch yourself up, and I'm trying, Peter, and I'm struggling. Every time I take two steps forward, I get knocked three steps back, but I'm going to get back up again. And, and, and you're religiously, religiously fatigued and tired and worn out, and you just feel like God is so distant from you. The reason is, is because you're not living from the presence of God. You're living from the presence of yourself. Okay, now some things, some basic principles. We're going to elaborate on some of that as we go through this study. But the one, the, the the key point tonight that I want to drive home in this passage is the first thing we learn about living from the presence of God is that the presence of God insists upon leading the way. The presence of God insists. Upon leading the way. I deliberately read this, uh, these, several of these verses to make sure that the Holy Spirit had an opportunity to make his point to us. And that point is this. He drove point after point after point. Is that when God commanded, they got up and went. And when God stood still, they stood still. And, and what I love about this is God never did a predictable pattern for them. It would be easier... In our religious mind, if it was just a, a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night routine. All right, we go to church Sunday morning, we go to church Sunday night, we go to church Wednesday night, and that's going to fix all our problems. Wouldn't it be nice if that was the solution? But we can look around tonight and tell you that a lot of folk have done give up on that strategy. Amen. Because religion alone will not fix the issue. We're not trying to live from a works-based relationship with God. We're trying to work from a God-did-it relationship-based situation. Are you understanding me? Say amen. Okay, so God insists on leading the way, and he does that by revealing when he's ready to move, okay? Now, 
Do you remember in the teachings of Jesus when he said the Spirit of God will show you things to come? When you start on setting out to follow God and listen to the Holy Spirit of God in your life, if you'll stay in the book and if you'll stay on your knees in prayer and you've been born again by the grace of God, you will begin to be taught a thing called discernment. You'll start reading your Bible, for example, and, and you've been praying about something or thinking about something, and all of a sudden it seems like you just stumbled into something that talked right to you. It was like God had a mail delivered just for you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Okay? And so what you'll learn then is the Holy Spirit at that moment begins to reveal God's will to you in that moment and gives you direction and gives you leadership. Uh, I want to give this illustration at this point in this lesson to help uh, drive the point home on the reason that God wants to lead. Now, uh, understand that God gives them direction from his presence, not away from his presence. If they were outside the camp, they'd have missed out on the whole move of God. So our, our goal, our objective, our aim, David said, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what we really want today in America, is we want a, a convenient drive-through religion where we can get our religion once or twice a week or once or twice a month or have it your way like a Burger King, but the rest of the time we can call the shots. And we wonder why our children are hooked on drugs. And we wonder why our kids are having babies out of wedlock. And we wonder why they don't want nothing to do with the church. I'm going to tell you why. Because we didn't get hooked on Jesus. And we didn't get hooked on the Holy Spirit. And we didn't get hooked on the will and ways and word of God. We got hooked on a religious recipe that had nothing to do with God's leading. And so we must make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. I, uh, for one, am an advocate for going to church at least three times a week. Have nothing against it. So don't hear me wrong tonight. If you're a member of this church and you're able, you should have been here tonight. Amen. <laughs> but let me say this. If you don't find your satisfaction from the presence of God, church will always disappoint you. Let me say that again. If you don't find your satisfaction from the presence of God in your life, church will always be a disappointment. Amen. Because we don't come to church to just tickle our fancy. We don't come to church to just check off a religious to-do list and say, I did my deed for Jesus today. We come to church to Get in the presence of God. We come to church to hear from God, to get fresh bread for another day and for another week. If you're with me, say amen. And so God wants to lead us. I wonder how many times people have stood before God uh, throughout Christendom after they went on to be with the Lord and and maybe, I don't know that they had any conversations uh, uh, when they got there, but I'm assuming that if they did, they might have said, well, Lord, I prayed about this. Why didn't you answer? And God said, well, I had the food on the table, but you didn't come to the supper table. Amen. Uh, I, I don't want to harp too much on that tonight. I can't 
preach to those who are not here except if they're watching uh, by, by way of the internet simply to say that our motivating factor for even doing this thing we call church and the Bible calls church is not just to be religious, it's to have a relationship with God that transforms every area of our life. That's how significant and important church should and ought to be. Amen, church? And so God wants to lead us. Notice that he insists on being the leader. And if God uh, did it, uh, waited a day or a week or a month or, or several months, whatever, and they never knew what God was up to until he revealed it. And, and this creates a needed discipline in our lives. So, we, so we, we see the leadership of God, but we also see the, the luring of his people into his presence. The leadership of God, the luring of his people into his presence. He's teaching them a dependency upon his timing, a dependency upon his wisdom, a, a dependency upon his will and his word. He, he's a, you remember God led them out of Egypt. He's having to, he, he's, he's having to uh, get Egypt out of their system. He's having to get uh, man-made religion out of their system because they were exposed to foreign gods and, and all the gods of Egypt. And no doubt there was a lot of corruption that they had to be purged from. And the only way that they could get purged from that is for God to lure them into his presence and lead them with his presence. And as they begin to get acclimated to the reality that now God is the only true God and he is my Savior, he is my Lord, then they were able to let old things pass away and let all things become new. Amen? And so we see God insist upon leading and luring and also for us to learn from his presence. You know, uh, you remember Martha and Mary in the New Testament uh, were, uh, were uh, making a, a meal for the Lord and his disciples, as I recall. And uh, Martha was cumbered about with much business back in the kitchen. And Mary was just sitting around lazy, doing nothing, but listening to Jesus. So Martha thought, right? And so we, the religious, myself included sometimes, would have also rebuked Mary and said, get up. Uh, you know, I believe in sitting and soaking, but I also believe in getting up and doing, and it's time to get up and go. And we want to just hammer act, activity, action, and it's needed. I'm not saying it's not, but Jesus said that Mary hath chosen that good thing. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus knew something that Martha did not know yet. That if Martha wanted to continue to minister to Jesus without experiencing fatigue and burnout, then she was too going to have to learn how to slow down and actually spend time in the presence of the Lord at the feet of Jesus. And if you want to know what's going to take the grind out of ministry, that hard gotta get it done kind of feeling that comes over you sometimes it comes over all of us you want to know what's going to fix that is the joy of the Lord 
And where do you get the joy of the Lord? In his presence. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. You, I heard a preacher one time, uh, Amy, you remember when Brother Jason Fuller talked about this? He said, my wife can tell when I need to spend some time with God. Amen? Because I'm irritable. I'm not myself. I'm agitated. I'm mean. I'm cruel. I'm hard. And she said, you need to go talk to God a while. And that's the truth. Because I, I, I'm learning. I, I, I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. And God's luring me more and closer into his presence. And, uh, in fact, it, uh, let, me, let me just get real transparent with you. Can I do that? I was in my prayer time today. And uh, I felt like, now you can, you can say what you want to. I don't care anymore what people say about me. All I care about is what God said about me, and that's enough. I thought I heard the Lord ask me a question. What do you want? What do you want? And so I sit down, okay, Lord, I'm fixing to tell you what I want. With the full intent of starting a whole long list of things, needs in our life. And immediately the Holy Spirit started leading me to say the right things and ask the right questions. And I'm going to give you just a few of those. I want my heart fixed on you, Lord, like King David. I want to never feel inadequate again. I want to never feel or fear lack of a, uh, a fear lack or abandonment and hopelessness to change seemingly overwhelming odds against me ever again. I want to never doubt your love again. I want to hear God singing over me. All this is scriptural, by the way. I got scripture for all of this. I just ain't got time to dig into it. Maybe I can add it to the notes in Cornerstone later. I want the joy of my Lord. You remember the passage? I will give you this one. The passage where he said, uh, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's because he entered in. You know, when God... Uh, when you enter into God's rest, God don't stop working because he's tired. He stops working because he's done. Amen? In other words, God says, I'm going to invite you to a place where the work's done. You can kick up your feet and relax. I've got it all covered. And God can do what we done preach on Sunday night in the Great Awakening series. God can do more while you're sleeping than you can while you're awake. Isn't that good? I said, I want the rest that's found in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I said, I want to live in your presence, Lord. And I also prayed, I want yoke-breaking power for all things kingdom-related for kingdom advancement. As I began to pray, as I believe I was led by the Holy Spirit, thank God it was, because I would have in the flesh with a religious route, but God said, I'm going to teach you how to pray for what you really need. You need me. You need my presence. And in that moment, I've never felt, I've never seen it so clearly as I did this afternoon in prayer that with God's presence is everything that you'll ever need. And without his presence, absolutely nothing else matters in this life. 
nothing. That's what I like about that song. I'd rather have Jesus. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Y'all remember that? I'd rather have Jesus than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be true to his nail-pierced hand, right? Than to be a king of a vast domain, you remember the song? Or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And the truth is, we need to learn the fact and the truth that Jesus, the great shepherd, truly is all we need. You know, the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I heard about a little girl in Sunday school that was asked to quote the memory verse that week, and that was the verse. She got up and quoted it, and she said, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. And boy, you talk about shouting ground right there, son. She said it, now she may not have quoted it right, but it's right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and therefore the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. I got a question for you. Are you hungry for the presence of God? Because if the presence of God is allowed to lead you, and if you learn to live from His presence, then you will learn to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says that, uh, the Bible teaches us how the, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. And I love that. That gives me hope. You want to know why it gives me hope? Because it teaches me that there are untruths that he's still got to deliver us from. Notice that he will lead you into all truth. That means you're not all there yet. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not all there yet. <laughs> Amen. Me neither. But the Spirit's getting me there. Amen. Step by step, walk by walk, day by day, amen, we got to learn to live from the presence of God and let him lead the way. And that's vitally important. And so um, one more, I'm going to just give you an introductory to next week's thought by going uh, over here to the book of Acts real quick, if you'll follow me. Acts chapter 27 so we looked at living from the presence of God from the perspective that God's presence insists upon leading the way. And we must insist on allowing God to be that leader in our lives. You will never get anywhere fighting the leadership of God if you're a Christian. Uh, I've quoted him many times, and I love this statement. Dr. Charles Stanley said, true success is simply living in the presence of God. Amen. I love that, don't you? So let's look at this real quick introduction to next week's lesson. Acts chapter 27. And the story is about, uh, well, let's just read a few verses. And when it was determined, verse 1, that, they, that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto uh, one named Julius, hold on, let me put my reading glasses back on. Amen. That looked weird. Uh, 
a centurion of Augusta's band, and entering into a ship of uh, Adramitium, we launched meaning to sail. That was their intention, you see that? By the coast of Asia. Uh, let's skip uh, verse 4. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were what? Contrary. Did you know that you can have every intention hard-headed to go your way? And yet when God's going a different direction, there ain't nothing you can do. Guess who's going to win that battle? Amen. God's going to win every single time. I can assure you of that. Just ask Jonah. Hmm. Amen. And uh, verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days. and You ever feel like life just comes down to a slow grind? And it's not always the case, but in many cases it could just be because you're resisting the direction of the wind of God in your life. If life is always a grind, I, I, I go to the closet and I'd say, Lord, what's up with this? I'd ask the Lord, Lord, am I heading in the right direction? And, and, and it may be a trial and it may be intended and it might be a season and that's understandable and that happens sometimes. But sometimes, let's just admit, it's our own desire to do as verse 2, meaning to sail a different direction than what God wanted us to sail. Right? Now verse 9, now when much time was spent... And when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now ready past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. That, that, that lading is the, the uh, cargo on the ship. And, uh, and, and also of our lives. He said we're going to lose our cargo, we're going to lose our ships, and we could potentially lose our lives. But watch what he says. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship. That's a typology of man-made religion doing its thing more than those which were spoken by Paul, which is a picture and a type of the voice of God. You follow me? Say amen. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, and the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Finnis and there to winter, which is in a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now look at this, verse 14, but long after... Not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliden, a cyclone. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught. And by the way, you're always going to get caught when you go against the will of God. Amen. And could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Now look at this. They have fought the whole time resisting the leadership of the Holy Spirit determined to get from destination A to destination uh, whatever when God wanted a different destination in mind. And they finally had to just let go of the, 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 the helm of the ship and let her drive. You see that? And so... Uh, 
And then verse 16, and running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we have much work to come by, uh, by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand straight sail, and so were driven. So, I mean, it was, it was a nasty scene on the, when, they, when they went shipwreck. It was a tough save, but long story short, I'm going to cut it short for time. God saved everybody like Paul said. God gave him a dream, said it's going to be all right, you're going to make it. But I also wonder if Paul didn't help but say, I told you so. Amen. And, and all because he was listening to the voice of God. Now, point number two that I want to really delve into more next week is I want to talk about not only God's leading presence, but God's corrective presence. How that God, uh, God is not going to leave us to our own demises if we're going to live in his house. Did you hear what I said? If we're going to live in God's house, meaning God's presence, he's not going to leave us to our own demises. He's going to correct. He don't care if it hurts your feelings as long as it saves your soul. Amen. He don't care if it hurts your feelings as long as it saves your marriage. He don't care if it hurts your feelings as long as it, as long as it saves your church and saves your community and saves other people that need the influence of somebody surrendered to living from the presence of God. Amen. And so next week, uh, next Wednesday night, y'all help spread the word. Wednesday nights, we're going back to preaching. We're going to pray too, but we need some soul food, and we're planning on giving it to you if God will enable us. Amen, church.